I'm just going to begin with a fun little story. It's just a cute little story. Here's the story. Our theme is on relationships, so it's a relationship kind of story. Ralph and Janice were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and Pastor Jones decided to take advantage of their longevity in marriage and wanting to use their story as a sermon illustration. So we asked Ralph to come on stage and share some insight how we managed to live with the same woman all these years. Well, Ralph turned to the congregation and said, well, I treated her with respect and spent money on her, but mostly I took her traveling on special occasions. The pastor asked, trips to where? Well, for our 25th anniversary, Ralph answered, I took her to Beijing, China. Well, the crowd murmured and everyone appreciated what he'd said. When things quieted down, the, the pastor winked and said, well, what a terrific example you are to husbands, Ralph. So tell us, where are you going now for your 50th anniversary? I'm going to go back and get her. Okay, so that's just a fun little story. And it's the reason we know that it's a cute little story is because we understand the tension with the relationships, right? We all know if you've been in any kind of relationship, any kind of family relationship, there's tension in relationships. We all know we get it. We understand it. And what's happening now in the book of Colossians is this. Paul has been laying out our identity in Jesus for three plus chapters. He's been telling, listen, this is who you are in Jesus, This is your relationship. This is your identity. You are no longer patterned after the world. You are patterned and clothing yourself with the unique person of Jesus Christ. Now what you need to do is live it out. And you need to live it out in two primary relationships that affect us. Number one is our family relationships, marriage, family, and number two, the place where we would work. In other words, we're to take our faith, we're to take how we've been radically changed on the inside and to use that faith to be a transforming agent in our families, among our friends, even among our co-workers. So as we come to the text this morning, what we're going to see is we have this, this teaching Paul's going to teach us about relationships, husbands and wife, parent and child, children. And then next week, we're going to come back. And what I want to do next week is I'm going to look at the employee-employer relationships. And what I want to do this morning morning is this. I want to begin with asking the question this. Why why is Paul teaching us this? What's the significance of this instruction about husbands and wives and family? Why, Why is that so important? I want to give you some reasons. Number one is this. I said God's marriage, God's institution, God's teaching about marriage, it's his design. God is a good God. God is a loving God. Go back to the book of Genesis. He creates and it is good. It is good. It is good. And what God does is God creates this wonderful institution called marriage. It's a beautiful institution. God is the one who absolutely designed it from the very, very beginning. Before there was any kind of government, school, synagogue, before anything else, what does God do? God creates a family, a husband and wife. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, notice what he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and what? Be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. What God is creating in the institution of marriage is this idea of leaving one family to become our own family and have this unique one flesh relationship, physically one flesh, intimacy. It's the beauty of marriage. Listen, marriage is God's design. And you and I need to affirm the design of God in the institution of marriage. There's a second reason I think this is important. It's this. We live out our faith primarily in two areas. Most important area that I live out my faith is is with my family, with my wife and with my children. 
Now with my grandchildren. But the other primary relationship that I live out my faith is I spend 40 plus hours a week at a place called Hope Church in my job and vocation. Those are two primary relationships that almost every one of us in this room are in. So this teaching is incredibly relevant for our identity. I'm bringing my identity as a follower of Jesus. I'm bringing my identity. I've clothed myself with all of those things, right? And I'm bringing that type of influence to my family and to my vocation. And what it does is it allows us to be a transformation agent, if you will. Let me ask you, how are you doing your family relationships? How are you doing your work relationships? Let me ask you, what will be your re- reputation to those around you in your work relationship? Do you have a good relationship with those around you? Paul's going to talk about that. We're going to look about it next week. But we live our lives in the context of that relationship. Third, Paul writes about this. Women, ch- children, and slaves. Listen, women, children, and slaves, they were looked down upon. A Roman father had ultimate authority in his family. He could do whatever he wanted. When a child was born, they could basically hand it to him, and he could do whatever he wanted with his child. Leave it out or pull it into the family and take care of it. Women and children and slaves were not looked upon very favorably back then. And Jesus comes along. And Paul comes along, and the New Testament comes along. And all of a sudden, we have this radical teaching that Jesus transforms relationships by giving women and children and displaced people value in society because he sees them as a child of God. And what they become, Jesus and Paul and the New Testament churches, they became change agents. All of a sudden, we have this radical teaching about looking and treating a spouse a woman, a child, a slave in an entirely different way. So the teaching was incredibly radical for back then. Fourth is this. Paul's teaching is not, it's not based upon popular trends. It's not based upon philosophy. It's not based upon what's popular. It's not based upon what's successful. It's based upon what God wants. It goes back to what God designs. This is what is God designed in the institution of relationship and marriage. If you go back and look at this, you'll see that over and over in these verses, Paul uses these words of instruction in the Lord. In verse 18, it says, what is fitting in the Lord? In verse 20, what is pleasing in the Lord? In verse 22, what is reverential in the Lord? In verse 23, working for the Lord. In verse 24, there's an inheritance from the Lord. In verse 24, we are serving the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it has this idea of a master who is in heaven. Critical to our understanding of relationships, family relationships, marriage relationships is this. We have a heavenly father who's engaged in our life, and he cares about what I do. He cares about what he says. He cares about the way that I live out my identity in Jesus. And we need to know and recognize and understand that God, God's watching us. He sees. He sees what's going on in our lives. I think at the core of this teaching is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Notice what we read last work. Colossians 3, verse 17 says this, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to live and honor and glorify God in all that we say or do. So how I live my life in my family matters, and how I live my life in my profession matters, because I am a light to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And he has transformed me on the inside, and I should be a radically different person. And finally, It comes to that 
that, that point of living out our new identity. In chapter 3, verse 12, Paul wrote about how we are chosen. We're holy, set apart, and, and we are the beloved of God. Because of who we are and what we've done, what I need to make sure that I'm doing now is I'm living out that relationship in the closest context of my life. My family members, my spouse, the people that I come in contact with. And as I live out my identity in Jesus, as I live out my chosenness, as I live out this idea that I'm the loved one of God, if you will, what I then become is a transforming agent to those who are around us. God has called me to live in such a way that people see the light of Jesus and their lives are transformed and changed. A.T. Robertson, who was a scholar and a writer, he wrote this about how our faith changes us on the inside to be a transforming agent on the outside. Notice what he says. Real Christianity is both doctrine and life. You look at almost all of the epistles. First three chapters are going to be about what? Doctrine. Next three chapters, two chapters are going to be about life. Doctrine and life. Mere belief is dead without life as proof. Real spiritual life is impossible without vital contact with God and Christ. And our dealings with others become the final the proof of a real connection with Christ. What he's saying is, listen, the way that you and I live out our identity in Jesus Christ is absolutely critical to an unbelieving world. Am I going to influence other people as being the salt of the earth, as a light of the, of the world, as Jesus is called? So what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to look at two relationships. first one is this, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And we're going to look about the relationship between parents and children. Those are the two relationships we're going to look at. So God's principles for marriage. Let's begin there in verse, verse 18 and 19. Chapter 3, verse 18. Notice what Paul writes. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now listen, first I want to begin with this. I want to remind you and I want to affirm to you, this, this God that we love affirms the marriage relationship. He affirms the marriage relationship. And I know that sounds silly, but God... Is for marriage. I, I, I looked at this. Uh, I looked this up, and I saw a study that says over the past thirty years, the marriage trends have reduced forty percent. And I believe that's probably true, even with the context of people in the church. Even in the church, people don't embrace this idea, this concept of marriage. What we want to do is we want to, even among Christians, we want to, we want to live together. But what God is saying, listen, the institution of marriage is absolutely vital. I created it, I designed it, it's a good thing, it's a wonderful thing, it's a beautiful thing. And what we're seeing is the slowly the disintegration of what it means to be married in a marriage relationship. There was a Jewish rabbi, uh, he's from England, and he wrote these words about what is happening in the institution of, of marriage. And this is what he wrote. He wrote this quite a few years ago, but notice what he wrote. He said, the extraordinary institution marriage which brought together sexuality Emotional kinship and the creation of new life and wove them into a moral partnership fused by love has been exploded as effectively as if someone had planted a bomb in the center of our moral life. Marriage, the concept of marriage, the value of marriage is absolutely not looked upon with favor in our day and age. And what Paul is simply saying is, listen, marriage matters. Marriage matters. There's this one flesh relationship between husband and wife that matters today. It's not just a legal document that we have that we signed. No, it's something deeper. 
And it's something much more beautiful. It's something that God created us. He's invited us to commit our lives together in this wonderful institution called marriage where we come this one flesh relationship with one another. Why is it important for us to affirm marriage apart from the idea that this is God's design? I think that's another reason. And I think it's a beautiful reason. And I think it's something that we know and we need to understand. What Paul does is when you look at Paul's expanded teaching on the idea and the concept of marriage, what he's saying is this. The marriage relationship is going to point to something absolutely wonderful and beautiful. Let me just read what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Notice how Paul describes the marriage relationship. Notice what he does first. He's going to take us back to the Old Testament, back to Genesis, and then he's going to offer a quotation or a, uh, a comment. Notice, Genesis chapter 5. Paul writing to the people at Ephesus knows what he writes. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. What is Paul teaching the people at Ephesus about the beautiful institution of marriage? Notice what he did. He took them all the way back to creation. He took them all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And what Paul is saying that when God planned, when God designed the marriage relationship, this marriage relationship between a husband and wife where they would come together and they would be one flesh All throughout history, what marriage relationship was doing is pointing to something in the future. It's pointing to something that's going to be in the future. And that future person was the unique person of Jesus Christ coming to earth to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. God had planned it from the very beginning that Jesus would come and he would offer himself as a sacrifice, as a payment for sin. And what that payment, what that sacrifice on the cross would demonstrate, that Jesus loved for what? The church. That's the mystery that was being revealed in the person of Jesus as he shows up. The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ points to something. It points to his love for his church and how he would offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross for the church. And now, what does that marriage relationship between Jesus and the church portray? It has the privilege of portraying something beautiful in our relationship. There's this wonderful, wonderful relationship that as I live with my my wife, as I, I live with her and I love her and I care for her, it's pointing to our marriage relationship, it's pointing to the relationship between Jesus and the church. Paul takes this imagery of God in the Old Testament being a husband to the nation of Israel. And he takes it into the New Testament and reminds it to Jesus and his followers that the marriage relationship, God designed for the marriage relationship, is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Does your marriage matter? You bet it does. Because your marriage relationship, my marriage relationship, is pointing ultimately to the relationship between Christ and the church. And Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for the church. So wives, in that context, what is our responsibility? Well, in the, in the greater context of mutual submission to one another from the book of Ephesians, and the greater submission, uh, the, the greater context of how the church is to submit itself to Christ, wives, what are we to do? It says this, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit yourself to your husband. You know, a lot of people just want to take that word submit. They want to scratch it out. And I get it. I understand it. You know, men, we have not done a good job of of loving our, our wives very good. Maybe we've made demands. Maybe we've used this idea of submission in a way that we've kind of beat them over the head with it. 
That's, that's not the kind of relationship that God wants. To submit means to, to, to simply place yourself under the authority of your husband. It had the idea of, of in the a military, it was a military use where, where a, a soldier would place themselves voluntarily under the authority of the officer above them. Why would they do that? Well, for order, for one, to know what to do for another reason. But the other reason is because he was responsible for them. The commanding officer was responsible for everyone. He was only going to do what is right and what he needed to do. And, and what Paul is simply saying is, listen, wives, place yourselves voluntarily under the, under the role of authority of your husband. It has nothing to do with being inferior. It has nothing to do with being less important. Less, it has nothing to do with that. It goes back to God's design and God's order for the relationship. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Guys, what are you supposed to do? Now you got a little bit more difficult. It says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Husbands, you've already put on compassion. You've already put on humility. You've already put on kindness. You've already put on gentleness. You're clothing those things. They've been wrapped around you already. Now what I want you to do is I want you to love your wife. Good question. With what kind of love? Sexual love? I love my wife when she gives me what I want. Is there another kind of love? There's three kinds of love that was pretty popular back then, defined by three different words. Eros, erotic kind of love, a sensual kind of love. They look at something and they lust for it. There's this lust, there's this erotic kind of love that, that has more to do with your feelings and your emotions and your desires. And you see that, you want it, you lust after it, you want, I want that. That's why pornography is so incredibly damaging. Because people see an image and they want that image and they lust for it and they try and figure out a way to get it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 not that erotic kind of love. And it's not brotherly kind of love. It's, it's not just this other kind of phileo kind of love where you, you kind of love your brother and your sister. That's, that's a great love. That's a wonderful kind of love. It's a, that's a beautiful kind of love. But that's not the kind of love that you're supposed to have for your wife. What Paul is talking about here is he's talking about agape, the highest standard of love. This, what, what Paul is bringing to the people at Ephesus, what Paul is bringing to the people of Christ, a new dimension, a new idea of what it means to love in a sacrificial kind of way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love demonstrates itself by sacrificially living for other people. That's the kind of love that's being described here. Agape type of love, the highest kind of love that gives itself for another person, if you will. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, as a Christian, I am filled with God's Spirit. And I am to live my life by the fruit of the Spirit. And as I live my life by the fruit of the Spirit, then what I will do is I will demonstrate a sacrificial kind of love for my spouse and for other people. It's the highest kind of love that we can give. It's a love that sacrifices and it's a love that gives itself away. That's why it says, Jesus died for the church, that sacrificial love for the church. That's the model for my life. That's a model for all of our lives. Listen, my wife is not just my wife. My wife is a sister in Christ. And do I relate to her not just as my wife, but do I relate to her as a sister in Christ who has value as a weaker vessel, 
The value of the eternal life to come is what Peter talks about. What Paul is doing is Paul is just giving us some radical teaching about the order of relationships between spouses here. And husbands were to love our to love our wives. There's a really great verse in Genesis chapter 24, verse 67. It talks about the relationship that Isaac had with Rebekah. And if you know, if you know anything about the book of, of Genesis, you know that, that Abraham said, listen, I, I don't want you to get a, a wife from, from Isaac here. I want you to go to our family. So he goes, uh, uh, the, the servant goes to the family and he brings back Rebekah. And he brings back Rebekah. And Re- Rebekah's walking up and Isaac sees her. They've, they've never met before. And he, Isaac sees her. And he lays eye on her. And, and notice how this relationship is described. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife. Married, he became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What's the big deal? It says this, that he took her to be his wife, and he continued to love her. He loved her. His relationship was defined to Rebecca by the way that he loved and cared for her. Not a perfect, but he loved her. Man, that's the kind of love that you and I are to have with our spouses, husbands. Love your wives. Let the unbelieving world see the way that you love your spouse. When you go back and you reflect on the Greek and the Roman, the Jewish teaching at that particular point in time, what permeated their thinking was erotic kind of love and phileo kind of love. But the kind of love that Paul is describing here is a love that a believer has for another believer. It is, it is a Christian kind of love because it's born through the Spirit of God as we give ourselves daily to walking with Jesus. They knew about these two delights of love, but this kind of love comes from the Spirit of God living inside of us. So ladies, we are to live in submission to our husbands. Husbands, we are to love our spouses in a sacrificial way, the way that God has designed it. That's how Paul deals with the relationship between husband and wife. Second relationship, he talks about his parenting. Notice how Paul just, he just kind of goes boom, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. It's, it's, it's kind of hard for us sometimes to wrap around this other than we look at God's teaching and say, this is the inspired word of God. And, and notice what Paul says in verse 20 to Children and fathers. Verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So I'm reading a book. The name of the book is um, We Will Not Be Silenced. And it's by, by Erwin Lutzer. And, and Erwin Lutzer is just a great godly man. He's a pastor of Moody Church in, in, uh, up in the Chicago area. He's, he's no longer the pastor there, but he's writing this book, and he's, he's reflecting on what's going on in our culture. I want to give you a quote from one of the chapters. The chapter is called Sexualize the Children. And this is the quote that he talks about and what's happening in our culture. He's quoting an, uh, uh, an analyst on TV, and the analyst on TV says this, speaking of the relationship with children and parents. We have to break through our private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Really? Let me ask you something. What if the values in my home conflict with the values that are being taught maybe in school or maybe learned in other places? Am I simply supposed to turn them over and allow the the educational system or some other kind of system raise them? 
Now, I, I thought God gave you and I the responsibility to raise our children. As I look to Jesus, and I trust Jesus, and I keep walking with Jesus, one of the main responsibilities that I am to do is I am to impart my faith to my children and to draw them into a close relationship. What's really interesting in our text here is this, that Paul kind of singles out children. He says, obey your parents. It's almost as if he's speaking to them. Children, obey your parents. What in the Lord? It seems to me what Paul is hinting to and recognize that, yes, children, even you have an independent relationship with the Lord. You have a relationship with the Lord. Parents are already taking you to that relationship with the Lord, but you also have a broader relationship with other people. And you are to submit yourself. Children, you are to obey your parents, if you will. Why? Because this honors the Lord. And it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing when children obey and honor their their parents for who they are and what they've done for their life. Paul, in some other teaching, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, talks about the fifth command is, is a promise. What he's referring to is this uh, this command is in uh, Exodus chapter 20. And it's the fifth commandment, children obey your parents. And when he says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 3, it says this, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life in the earth. Young people, do you want to enjoy life? you want to enjoy life? Listen, respond, respect your parents for who they are and what they've done. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. But what we want to do is we want to live under the umbrella and the authority of our parents because they love us and they care for us and they nurture us and they want what's absolutely best. As they are following the Lord, as they're trusting the Lord, what I want to do is I want to give myself to them and trust them for who they are and what they're doing. That's what young people we need to do. By the way, you want to know what one of the characteristics of living in the last days is? Disobedience to parents. 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. One of the characteristics of living in the last days is children, first of all, it says, people will be lovers of themselves. That's exactly where we find ourselves in our day. We are lovers of ourselves. Life is all about me. It's all about me and my life. It's not about God. It's not a relationship. It's all about me and what I want. And he goes on to say they will be disobedient to their parents. One of the characteristics of living in the last days is that people are going to be disobedient to their parents. Two biblical examples. Remember Joshua? Remember what he said? It's for me and my house. What are we going to do? We're serving the Lord. Parents, are you, are you putting that stake in the ground? You staking that in the ground saying, as for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to serve the Lord. Or are you going to be like Eli? Go back and read about Eli. What do you, he wouldn't discipline his children. He wouldn't discipline his children. He wouldn't do the responsible thing to do by disciplining his children. And what happened? He rejected him. They just went off and did whatever they wanted. They were a mockery of the, of the priesthood because of what they'd done. The reason I use the, the, the thought of parents here, because this same word that Paul uses with fathers, it's, it's also used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, and, and it's used in, in, as parents. So I believe he's talking about parents, mothers, fathers, but maybe he's singling out fathers because maybe fathers, maybe what we have a tendency to do is to be a little bit more harsh. Be a little more demanding of our kids. Be a little bit more more tougher on them. And and what Paul is saying, listen, don't exasperate your kids. Don't don't frustrate them all the time. Give them the grace that they need to be the kind of person they need. Shape them, mold them, but, but don't conform them into a mold that they don't fit into. Love them, give them the grace that they need. I think that's what Paul was saying. 
There's a man who had four characteristics, and I just want to just go real briefly through them, and then we'll get some, to some application. Ray Sidman, who lived a long time ago, uh, he just lists four things, and they all begin with the letter I, so I thought it would be easy just to, to point these out to you. Parents, this is what we should not do. Number one, don't ignore your kids. Invest in their life. Invest in who they are. Give them the time and the attention that they need and they deserve. Don't ignore them. Don't go off doing your business stuff all the time or you're not investing in the lives of your children. I am, I am shocked that as we see the things going on in our society and our world, that very few people are talking about the family and the role of the family and the role of a husband and the role of a wife and the role of a family and what they're supposed to do. We have all of these other things that we need to do. Maybe what we need to be is teaching our children what it means to be fearing the Lord and who he is and what he's done for. That's a responsibility that you and I have. Don't ignore them. Number two, don't indulge them. Don't give them everything they want. Man, when you give a child everything they want, we're just creating problems, aren't we? We indulge them and give them everything they want. The only thing they're going to do is they're going to want to keep taking from them. Don't ignore, don't indulge, don't insult them. Book of Proverbs, we're talking about this on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, 9.15, whatever time we get in there, 9.30. Your words matter. Words have the power of life and death. And, and they will eat the fruit of it. It says they will eat the fruit of it. Am I instilling powerful words into my children to encourage them, to build them up? Am I looking for ways to affirm them for who they are? Am I looking for ways to affirm my spouse? Ignore, indulge, insult, intimidate them. Well, that's an easy way of trying to get your kids to do what you want. You threaten them, you intimidate them. Well, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. We don't do that. It's not being controlled by the Spirit of God. There's no way that that is being controlled by the Spirit of God. So what Paul is doing, he's saying, listen, because of your identity in Jesus, I want you to live out your identity of Jesus. Husbands and wives, I want you to live this way. Parents and children, I want you to live this way. And what I want to do is this. I want to just bring us to some points of application, some things for you to think about before we move on. And I believe it's absolutely key to look at these things that I'm going to suggest in two grids. And the first grid is this. This is God's design. This is God's design. This is God's design for husband and wife relationship. This is God's design for family. Am I going to submit myself to God's design? That's the question that we have to ask. Second thing we have to ask is this. Am I living with an awareness of the presence of God? Over and over this is unto the Lord, with reverence to the Lord, working for the Lord. Am I seeing my relationship with myself, my relationship with my family, am I seeing that in the grid of God wanting to be involved in that, watching me and wanting to help me in the areas where I'm weak? So let's just walk through this. Let's start with parents. Let me just ask a couple of questions, parents. Do you believe that your children are not mine, but rather a gift from God entrusted to you? Do you believe that they're a gift from the Lord? They've been entrusted to you. Am I partnering with God to enable my children to become the men and women he intends them to be? In other words, am am I living with my relationship with the Lord and investing in my relationship with the Lord in such a way that I am able to invest in them? Do they know how delighted and excited I am? They're a part of our family. And I love them and I care for them and I want only what is best for them. That I'm always on their side. Am I living under the leadership of Christ in my own life? My model to them and what they would have for me or what they would have in, in living for Jesus and pointing them ultimately to who Jesus is. 
Children and young people, are you honoring your parents by listening to them? Seriously, do you honor your parents? I understand they're old. They're old-fashioned. I get it. I thought that way. But they're not. They're loving. They're caring. And they love you. And they would fight for you. And they would do a lot of things for you. Honor your parents. Don't dishonor them. Listen to them. Obey them. The word obey means to continually to obey them. Not, well, you know what? I did what you wanted me to do last week. No, that's not what he's saying. Continually obey. We live in this idea of wanting to honor our parents by living in obedience to them. Do you honor them? Do you, do you speak to them? Do you, do you tell them thank you? Do, by the way, do you do your part around the house? Yeah, I make my bed whenever my mom tells me to. No. You make your bed because your mom wants you to, and it's the right thing to do. You're a part of this family. Be a part of this family. You are a part of this family. Live out your part of the family. Young people, honor your parents. To those of us who are married, listen, are you investing in your relationship with your spouse? I get it. I get it. I've been married for since 83. I don't know how many many years that is. I think it's 30-something. How many? 30-something? A lot of years, all right. You gotta fight. We gotta fight for our relationship. I gotta fight for time with my wife. I have to fight for our relationship. I, I wanna fight for I wanna be the best that I can to cultivate my relationship with my wife. Because when I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna have to give an account for my relationship with my my spouse and my family. Are we fighting for relationships with one another? Are we pointing people as a couple? Are we pointing people to Jesus in the church in the way that we live with each other? Some of you are sitting there and going, well, you know what, I'm not married. I don't, I don't even think how this is relevant to me. This text isn't even relevant to me. Let me tell you something. This is absolutely relevant to you. What are you looking for in a spouse? What are you looking for in a husband and a wife? Are they able to lead you to Jesus and appoint you to Jesus? Are they modeling the truths of the faith to Jesus? Are they doing those things? Is that the kind of person that you're looking for? And by the way, you as a single person, have incredible potential and power to live out a life of obedience that's contrary to the culture living around us that says do whatever you want. doesn't matter who you have sex with. doesn't matter how you have sex. doesn't matter any of those things. What Paul has already established is, listen, put off all of that other sexual stuff. But conduct yourself in a way that's absolutely beautiful, understanding God's design for your life. And live your life in such a way that it ultimately points in you trusting in Jesus in God's design. You and I have this great privilege of living for Jesus. Single people, you have that. Let me give you a text, Matthew chapter 12. Notice what Jesus said. He's asking that he was asked about his mother and father and his children. And, and notice what he says. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus loved his family. There's no doubt about it. He loved his mother. He loved his... But those are all natural relationships. And by the way, they are what? They are temporary. One day in the future, who will be in heaven? Those who embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior and put their ultimate trust in him. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is redeeming a family, of redeeming a group of people who will go out and tell others about Jesus so they can put their faith and trust. This is not about simply punching a ticket and being in the right family, if you will, born into the church, born into your faith. What he's saying is, listen, young people, you have the incredible privilege of living out your faith in a mighty and powerful way. 
and to demonstrate Jesus in a beautiful, beautiful way. So we live in a day and age that's kind of crazy. And I just want to refer to us, listen, we've got to go back to God's design. And you and I have the great privilege of, of let's live by God's design. Let's embrace God's design. And let's trust him for his design. Father, I thank you for your word. God, this, this text seems so foreign to our, to our culture, to our society nowadays. And Father, I, I just want to take us back to who you are and what you've done for us and God, how you've designed relationships. Well, you've designed the institution of marriage. You've designed a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. You've designed this, this thing called the family. And Father, now we're a part of a greater, bigger family called the family of God, and I thank you for that. We're ultimately part of your family because of our faith and our trust in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would live out our faith, we would live out our identity in such a way that you are honored and you are glorified. Father, may we be good spouses. May we be good husbands and wives and fathers and children so that you will be honored and you will be glorified. And Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.